Let's pray as we open God's word together. Father, thank you that you chose to speak through Peter. Uh, Lord, that the experiences in uh, the lives of the Christians he was writing to, Lord, are things that we can see and learn from and grow through. We thank you that you speak into our lives and you speak into today's world so strongly through the message of 1 Peter. And so be with us now as we listen and as I preach, and we ask that you will open our hearts. And by the work of your spirit, Lord, help us to be receptive to your word. Help us to see our lives clearly in relation to it. And we ask that you will do a gracious and marvelous work through this time in the Bible tonight. Let me pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you have ever bought or sold something through the classifieds or through eBay or something like that? I see some hands going up, a bunch of hands actually, that's what I thought. A lot of us have done that, of course. Uh, Well, a couple of years ago, there was an ad on Gumtree, the online classifieds, and this one caught people's attention. Um, It even made its way onto some news websites. One that I read had this headline. Is this the ultimate breakup revenge? Scorned man sells girlfriend on Gumtree with his bike. Actual ad went like this. Bought this bike because my girlfriend was into cycling. She dumped me, and I hate cycling. Apparently, it's quite a good bike. I'll throw in some size 9 specialized shoes for good measure, along with the ex's phone number if you ever feel like being taken for a ride. (laughs) Now, to me, that sounds like a slow day for news. I think they're just grabbing at anything to get some attention. But still, there is something in this man's words if we look closely. See, he was obviously hurt by a woman he liked. And so there's a a broken relationship here. Um, his action here, so he wants to respond to her, but his action seems to be full of revenge, doesn't it? Seems to be his motive. And so he's saying in the ad, really, well, she hurt me, I want to get back at her. She hurt me, what am I going to do? I want to show the whole world how rotten she is. This little story tells us, doesn't it, or reminds us that we all react in different ways when our relationships go bad or when people hurt us. So what I want to say here tonight is that while we might have a little chuckle at an ad like this, every follower of Jesus is actually a bit closer to this situation than we might first realize. Now, I don't mean that we have the exact same story as this man, though let me say if you do by some chance, please see me after the service. I will encourage you not to put ads in the paper to talk about exes and that kind of thing. Um, But what I mean is that we live in a world as well of challenging relationships, of where people are going to do us wrong, of where we're going to respond to those sorts of things. And as we think about this widely, and we think of the sort of language we've been using through this series in 1 Peter, remember that we've been seeing that as Christians, in general, we are becoming more and more marginalized in the world around us. Um, Our ways and our ideas are less welcome. Uh, Some of us have already tasted ridicule or rejection because of our faith. And on top of that, there seems to be a growing hostility towards Christianity in the public media. Um, Even a hatred, it seems like, at times. 
And so to say it bluntly, we just don't fit in, do we? We don't fit in. And that means that we can expect hardship at the hands of other people simply because we follow Jesus. So what do we do about that? Well, Peter gave us a good general answer back in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. You might remember these ones. Um, Look there with me, please. Peter writes, Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Knowing that they live in a world that doesn't respect Christianity, Peter called his readers to not react sinfully, not retaliate sinfully, but instead to live such good lives among the unbelievers that they can be a witness for Christ. And then over the past couple of weeks, as Peter followed through, he's been really giving us examples of that. You know, submitting to authority, uh, slaves and masters, relationships within marriages. And then, as we come to today's passage, he begins, finally, all of you. And now, here's a way that the whole church, the whole community of believers can respond properly to a non-Christian world around them, even one that's hostile towards believers. But that's us too, isn't it? in modern Australia. So how should we live? How should we respond at these times? What should guide us and motivate us and drive us as we aim to live this way? Well, I'm not going to unpack every verse in a passage like this. If I did, we'd have a very long sermon here tonight. Uh, But I do want to share three things that we see in Peter's words. We're called to bless others, to be a natural witness for our faith, and to confidently endure. So look with me, please, at verse 8 as we think about blessing others. It says, Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Now here, Peter is talking about our relationships inside the church. He's calling for a certain kind of character. The words behind live in harmony really mean being like-minded. And you might recall that back in chapter 1, Peter called us to prepare our minds for action. There's a sense here of being on the same page by having a shared focus on Jesus. Being sympathetic means sharing in what others are experiencing. Uh, Brotherly love carries with it a sense of family, doesn't it? And I think we all know what Peter means when he uses words like compassionate and humble. But putting all of this together, Peter wants us in the church to relate to one another with the character of Christ. That's what he's saying. Jesus lived out the Father's will. He wept over and had compassion on the lost and broken. And he is the perfect example of humility. Philippians 2.8, that great verse. 
And being found in appearance as a man, he, that's Jesus, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Friends, at the core of the gospel that we live and celebrate, we're going to find humility. The Son of God dying for us to bring us to God, as Peter will go on to say in verse 18. But now you might be wondering, though, Yes, Burn, we know that, though. We, we know we need to have that character and love in the church. We get reminded of that all the time. What, what does this have to do with the, the living in a broken pagan world? Well, to make sense of this, look with me, please, at verse 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. See, right away, Peter highlights the pressures that are on the church from the outside, the the evil, the insult, that sort of thing. And so I believe we need to see that there's a flow here. We need to put these verses together. The character of Christ that's nurtured in the church and lived out in the church, verse 8, needs to spill out into the world, verse 9. Together, see, as a church, we grow in Christ-likeness, And that same character is our face to the world. So when the world is hostile to the church or to Christianity, uh, what's the believer supposed to do? Well, not pay back in kind, but to bless. And to bless means to ask God to be be favorable to someone, to actively seek their good, uh, to live in a Christ-honoring way towards them for their benefit. But isn't Peter only mirroring the words of Jesus himself when he talks like this? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. That's what Jesus says. What does this mean in the day-to-day? Well, let's start with what it doesn't mean. To bless someone is not replaying the situation over and over in our mind, just picturing what we'd love to say to them. It's not subtly making sure that everyone knows that so-and-so treated us in a certain way by dropping little tidbits into a conversation. It's not just lashing out however we want in a, in a blog's comment section. To bless is to act with the love and character of Christ towards someone. And one way that I've learned, and, and I'm still learning uh, to do this, is that when the heat is on, when we're in those situations and we need to respond, it's to not let bitterness take root. And a way to do this is to deliberately pray for the other person. Let me tell you that you will find it hard to hate someone when you're genuinely praying for them. So one of the best things that we can do when someone ridicules our faith is to speak calmly without even trying to win an argument. Don't even put it on the level of an argument where it's to and fro. Don't even try to win. When the media lashes out, we don't need to sound like everyone else who's just getting their point out there by treading on other people. When people at work reject us, we don't need to try to uh, impress them. In every situation where Christians are persecuted, and this even goes in places where people are being killed for their for their faith, we're still called to stay true to Christ and to love for love and pray for our enemies. But you see how this works? The love and character of Christ shapes us in our relationships. 
Okay, we nurture that in the church here together. We humbly love. We seek the other person. We rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And this then becomes our default mode for all of life. And so we find ourselves not just loving and blessing those who are our friends in Christ, but also blessing those who even hate us and persecute us. So one thing that Peter tells us that we can do in the face of a heated world is to respond by blessing others through the character of Jesus. Another thing that he says here is that we should be a natural witness for our faith. A natural witness for our faith. So jump down to verse 15 with me, please. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. In your hearts, honor Christ. Start with him, centered, be centered on him. And let this pour out into words about him when people see your questionable life. Now, here I think, in this, in this exact situation of these words, I think this is about what we've just seen. Blessing others in the face of hardship. You know, Peter is saying for us that people are going to wonder how the believer can act that way, how they can say those things when the heat is on. But still thinking about this generally, how do we live out verse 15? I would bet that this verse actually makes many of us a bit uncomfortable. Many Christians are nervous about talking about their faith, aren't they? That's just the way it is in most of our churches. And I believe it's because we sometimes read more into that verse than what's actually said there. See, one of the problems that we often have is that we think that to give an answer... It means to give a full-blown answer every time. You know, a, a full gospel outline, a Bible overview, or ramble on for 20 minutes of theology because you're so afraid that you might leave something out that's really important. But friends, Peter doesn't say any of that here. Not at all. Let's remember the situation here. This is about Christians speaking into the lives of people who do not know Jesus. And unbelievers then, in the time of Peter, and unbelievers now, do not have a Christian worldview. They can't easily connect with the things we talk about and say from the Bible. And many people in today's world literally have no biblical knowledge at all anymore. Modern day Australia. This is said really well in that book that we've been promoting in this series, um, Everyday Church. Still strongly recommended. Great book. Um, in that book, they, they ask us to picture a scale, a scale of, uh, of 1 to 10. And everyone is sort of somewhere on that spectrum, okay? 1 means that a person has no interest in Christianity or the church at all. That's a 1. And on the other side, a 10 means that a person is ready to make a commitment to Christ. But see, many of the ways that churches have traditionally been doing evangelism, the way we've been training people, the way we've got these um, outreach events put together, for example, often they assume that most people are at, a, at an eight. 
You know, that they got all the same language as us, that they're ready to engage, that they're on fire to hear about Christianity. But really, in the everyday, most of our conversations, let's be honest, most people are out of one or two. We've already heard earlier in this series that 70% of Australians have zero interest in ever darkening the door of a church. Over 70% of Australians are at a one or a two. Christianity is not on their radar. They do not understand what we're talking about, and they have very little interest in it. That picture on the screen is a picture of a tool. Does anyone know what it's called? There's a real name on it, though. You're right. No one knows. I'm not surprised. It's one of those very obscure tools. It is a spline roller. And as someone just called out, it's one of those things that you only use very occasionally. Uh, it's for, uh, in fact, it was so occasional, I couldn't even find mine to bring it in and hold it up and show you guys. It, it's for fixing the fly screen of a door. It's got a little wheel, and you use it for forcing that little rubber tubing into the groove so your fly screen stays in place. Now imagine if I had a toolbox that I carried around for my everyday DIY jobs. You know, I'm Mr. Fix it. I'm going to get everything done around the house. I got this great toolbox. You open it up. The only thing in it is a spline roller. Let me tell you, that's just going to be useless. It's not going to work. Okay? What that toolbox really needs is everyday tools that can be used all of the time for many different jobs, like a hammer or a saw or a screwdriver or the sort of things that you see on the screen there. That's how we need to approach verse 15. We need the right tool for the job when it comes to speaking with people about our faith. We need to consider where people are in relation to Christianity. And you know, that will mean being careful with some of the traditional church methods that have been used for sharing the gospel. You know, writing diagrams on the back of a napkin or a serviette, uh, having these dense, memorized gospel outlines, having 122 memory verses at our disposal at a snap of a finger. You know, much of the time, these things are just not going to work in the day-to-day. Now, please don't mishear me. Don't get me wrong. I am not saying that these things have no value. They have immense value. They have wonderful value when people are at an eight. And hopefully God will give us those situations as well. But most of the time, people are not ready for that. They're only at a one or a two. And so as we think about that, it's no wonder that we also get overwhelmed when we think about sharing our faith with the world and with our friends and family, isn't it? And so, friends, I've got good news for us. Tonight is the night when you can lay down your spline roller, okay? We can can lay that down and pick up our hammers, pick up our screwdrivers, pick up our saws and that sort of thing. See, to give a reason for the hope that we have is to simply talk naturally about what we have in Jesus, why we trust in him, how we can love him, how we can live for him. This verse is a verse about everyday life. And so once we lay down the expectation that, you know, we need all these special techniques, we need heaps of training, uh, you know, we need uh, 45 weekends of Saturdays of learning how to do this, you know, we need all these detailed biblical explanations. Once we get rid of that as the only way of thinking about evangelism and giving reasons for our faith, we realize that every one of us has so much to say. Every one of you has so much to say right now already.
See, often the best evangelism, it goes something like this. Co-worker says, you know, Jim, I noticed that the guys in the lunchroom, they really dumped on you because you happened to mention that you went to church on Sunday. I wouldn't be able to keep my cool if they spoke to me like that. But you didn't get upset. I don't get it. How come? And the answer at that time is not to pull out a tract. It's not a detailed gospel breakdown. It's not 18-syllable theological words. But it's the truth and the impact of the gospel in personal and real and raw, everyday terms. What Jesus has done for me. So it's more like, yeah, Harry, you know, really, it's not that great when people speak to me like that. I didn't like to hear that. Of course I don't. But I believe in a God who went through some pretty hard stuff for me because he loves me. Just normal words that talk about the hope that we have. And so I honestly believe that the best way to speak into lives is to meditate on the Bible and the gospel as we spend time in the word, but but chewing over it in everyday language, in our own words. And as we do that, we need to trust in God to do the work of changing someone's heart. It's not up to us to take somebody from a one or two on the scale over to an eight or nine all in one go, all in one conversation. It never has supposed to work like that. I mean, God in his grace and being a miraculous God, he can do that. That's often not how it works. We don't have to have arguments with people. We don't have to have clever comebacks for every tricky question that they might have. And you know, as we learn to speak with people on these levels, we find that we're actually treating the other person with love and gentleness, aren't we? So that's takeaway tip number one. That one's free. Okay, I've got two tonight, both of them, giving them away. Uh, take the passages that we hear at church, uh, the, the bits of scripture that we're looking at in our own personal times with God over the week, um, the things that we're chatting about in our growth groups. Take all this, but learn to talk about it personally and naturally and normally, just in our own words as God speaks into our hearts. And then that leads us to tip number two. We can start with other believers. How are we going to feel okay about talking about Jesus outside of the church, you know, giving the reason for the hope that we have in him? How are we going to feel okay about doing that if we can't even do it amongst our brothers and sisters here? Let's let our guards down a little. Let's talk about what truly matters. We need to let the name of Jesus come into our conversations, you know, at last coppa or after the service. We need to talk about why we love Jesus with our husbands or wives. We can chat with our kids on the way to school about what knowing Jesus will mean for them that very day. But see, it's these everyday conversations with other believers, with our church friends who we love, with our families, and people like that, this will all help us develop and grow and have that natural language for talking about Jesus. And see, that then coupled with that good life towards others, that blessing of others, that's going to speak volumes. That's what's going to speak into our world. So do you see what Peter's getting at here in this passage? He's saying that we live out the character of Jesus as we bless others. Uh, We honor Christ as we naturally talk out of the heart 
uh, from our, about our relationship with him. And then finally, to, to pull out one more thing that we see here in this passage, uh, we see that we trust in the victory of Jesus as we confidently endure. As we confidently endure. Look with me, please, at verses 17 and 18. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Peter recognizes that suffering, it's part of living as aliens and strangers in the world. And so he encourages his readers to look to Jesus and what he did. Jesus paid for our sins, he says, so that we can be brought to God. And then from there to the end of our passage, what Peter does is he highlights Jesus even more, the work of Christ to strengthen the suffering believer. But now this is where I need to make one of those very rare disclaimers um, as I'm preaching. Uh, Many scholars agree that verses 18 to 22 here of our passage are among some of the hardest bits of Scripture to understand. And the reality is there is no complete 100% consensus on what these verses mean. Just too many tricky bits with several options for each. Okay, Very complex part of Scripture. So all I can say is, boy, aren't you lucky you've got me preaching here tonight, okay? Um, I'm going to give you my take on it. I've nearly destroyed my brain working through this, um, but I'll share with you what I think about it, and you might want to skim along from verses 18 to 22 as we think about this for just a moment. Um, Peter says here that Jesus was made alive by the Holy Spirit. Or made alive in the spiritual realm. He was uh, being raised in a new spirit, um, resurrection, resurrected body. You know, it was a risen Christ, resurrected Jesus. And this risen Jesus, he preached, or as the word really means a bit more literally here, he proclaimed to some spirits in prison. Now, a lot of ink has been spilled on exactly who these spirits are. Um, I believe there are two main good options. Uh, these are either unbelievers from the time of Noah or their fallen angels. I currently lean towards fallen angels based on some language in Peter's second letter. But I also wonder if you can sort of combine both in the sense of enemies of God. You know, both disobedient people and the darkness behind them in the spiritual realm. But if that isn't complex enough, Peter goes on then to make some connection between uh, the flood from Noah's time and our baptism. And we think, what are you getting at, Peter? And so if you've been scratching your head every time you've come across these verses, let me say you're in good company. Okay? You're not alone. But in my view, the key to getting this key to understanding what Peter is saying is to ask a completely different question and not to get lost in the details. The question is, why would Peter bring Noah into the conversation at all at this point? What's he doing popping this into his letter? See, we need to know that Noah, the story of Noah, was very, very well known at the time, and not only in Christian circles, all around the whole area where, where Peter was ministering. 
And it was a very strong and pointed example of one man choosing to live in a godly way in a world that is thoroughly evil. You know, it's an extreme example of the whole thing that Peter's been talking about. And if you read Genesis 6, the picture of humanity at the time is horrific. You know, that the thoughts of their heart was only evil all of the time. It's a damning picture of humankind there. And the story of Noah is also a picture of judgment and victory as well. And so in my personal opinion and in my own words, here's what Peter is saying and getting at in this section. My friends, you're facing hardship now as you live as aliens and strangers in the world. You're facing heat and persecution because of your faith. But you know, I want to encourage you. I want you to think of the story of Noah. He lived God's way in such a pagan world at the time, but we know that God saved him and he judged each person appropriately. But you know, as you think about that, I also want you to consider Christ who died for you. His victory was so glorious that his resurrection was a cosmic declaration to even the darkness at work in that time of evil in Noah's day. And as we're casting our mind onto Noah, the water of that flood, it reminds us of the water of our baptism, symbolizing our union with Christ and his great work on us through his resurrection. The same powerful Jesus who died and rose, who declared victory over darkness, he is the one at work right now in the lives of believers who are also living among evil. He is in the highest place. He is Lord over all, so that whatever we face, we can confidently endure. I believe that's what Peter is getting at here, as he writes to these Christians in a troubled world. And these words are equally as true for us as well. See, when the heat is on, when we as believers or we as the church are in a hard place because of our faith, see, we can look not only at those who are causing us suffering. We have a much bigger and glorious vision, don't we? We can look above them to the one at the highest place. As Peter uh, writes in verse 22, and he brings his sort of section to a close here, uh, he says that Jesus is the one who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. So when we see the church being blasted in the news, or when our work colleagues reject us or leave us behind, or when we're ridiculed at family gatherings? The answer is that none of those things are the end of the story, are they? Who ultimately can harm us when God is on our side, as Peter says in verse 13? Our strength comes from knowing that though we will suffer in this life, and we will, that is promised in the Bible for every believer, though we suffer, glory is secure. We have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, Peter began his letter with. And all of that remains true because nothing can dethrone Jesus who is at the highest place. The Apostle Peter, I'm sorry, the Apostle Paul, um, he says it so well in, in Romans 8, 37 to 39. Uh, the language is a bit different, but he captures so much of what Peter's getting at. Great verses that we, we hear often, but we can never hear often enough. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, that's everything, none of this will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So friends, how do we handle a heated world causing us hardship just because we're Christians? It's not really our work and strength, but it's the work and strength of Jesus in us. This whole passage is about him, see? Making us more like himself so that we can love and bless even our enemies. Enlarging our hearts in him so that we have wonderful truth pouring out of us that we naturally share and declare and pointing us not only to the cross, but to the empty tomb and his power from the highest place. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank you for these words. Words that we need to hear from Peter. Lord, thank you that you've taken this very difficult situation in the lives of these Christian readers so many years ago and you use it to speak truth into their lives and ours right now. Lord, we know that our world is not so much different. We know that we have a growing hostility towards Christianity in this world in modern Australia. And Lord, we need your strength and wisdom to know how to respond. And so we ask, please, that you will give us in Christ all that we need to do this in a way that honors you. And so we ask, please, that you will help us to not only love the people in the church who we're comfortable with, but make us more like Jesus so that we can love even our enemies, even those who truly hate us. Lord, we ask that you will help us to uh, be encouraged and confident and that we have so much to share and say when we speak from the heart. And so please give us opportunities, Lord, and words to be a natural witness for our faith. And Lord, help us to remember that Jesus is at the highest place. That he's king over the universe, that he's king over this church and our lives and over this world. And so with him, knowing all that he's blessed and keeps secure for us, help us to endure in confidence because of him. Lord, grow us together as a church as we seek to do these things. Help us encourage and spur one another on so that we live this way. And Lord, in all of this, may we live such good lives among the pagans that they will see our good deeds and glorify you on the day you visit. Let me pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen.